0: I mean, I am so much more happy when I do book events with like real people that are readers and I meet them because it grounds the book and the impact it's having and the concepts it's wrestling with in real life versus when I'm sitting behind a computer trying to sell books on the internet. And I think what we have to grapple with is we have to do some of the latter to, to pay the bills and to allow us to do the former, but there's got to be some constraints around the latter so that that's not all that you end up doing all the time. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But that's true for just about any job. It's kind of like define the game that you want to play. Make sure that you're playing it. Make sure that you're in the right field. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are going to keep you there. And if there are necessary evils and you have to play a game that you don't want to to play the games that you do, just make sure that you're not spending all your time doing that.
1: Welcome to the Growth Equation podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague Brad Stillberg. Brad, you know what's coming. What's going on, my man? You know, I'm
0: feeling I'm feeling fatigued today. It was my first day back at the gym after having COVID, and um, it's it's real, man. And my body is still on its way on its way back to where it was before. It's going to take a minute.
1: Well, you know, you're feeling fatigued. We're f- I'm feeling great because yesterday morning I went out for a run and, and get this, for the first time since like February, I had to wear a shirt. Wow. It was cold. It's cold outside. And that means like you start flying and it feels good. And it's just like, ah, there's fitness there that you didn't you didn't think when it was 99 degrees and a billion percent humidity. So Life is good here. You had some company too, right? We had uh, Nate, the intern, was in town. That's right. We had some company. We had a little group run. I took him on all the favorite spots, you know, through the woods. And uh, Nate, the intern, decided, you know, as the the only twenty something in the group, to just throw it down there at the at the end. So don't bury don't, don't bury the lead. Nate, the intern, is also a uh, professional decathlete trying to qualify for the Olympics in 2024. <laughs> yes, yeah, that is true. So old man Steve had to go with him to keep him in check. But uh you know, it was uh we had some we had some falling off the pack there from the group, but it was understandable because Nate's, you know, world class. So it was good times. Cool weather, great runs. We were sad to miss you as you battled through COVID for the first time, but here we are. Yeah. It's going
0: to be a good winter for me though. I had a uh, norovirus two weeks ago. Now I got COVID like just sign me up for the parties. I want to shake as many hands as I can in December. Uh, you know, I'll probably get the flu too, but once I'm through with that, I feel like I got, I got all the immunity. Yeah. First time, three and a half years of, uh, of not getting COVID. Partially behavioral. We're definitely on the risk-averse side for a while, but I think the last year and a half just luck, and uh, finally, finally caught up to us. Kids were sick for anywhere between four and twelve hours,
1: and the adults for four to twelve days. So about, <laughs> about right. <laughs> Life's a lot easier when you're a kid with this one. So, but well, I'm glad you're on the other side of it. It's never fun, um, never at all. But you know, speaking of fun. That's what we're going to talk about today. Gonna talk about games. Games sound fun, Brad. Games, games are fun. A lot fun.
0: You know, uh, our species is one that plays a lot of games. And it's really not even our species, it's just like mammals in general. Uh, you observe the dogs hit the dog park, and it doesn't take them long to play chase, fetch with sticks, balls, role play with each other if you watch closely, oftentimes they'll take turns being the aggressor versus being the person that's aggressed. Um, you see it in non-domesticated animals, uh, bears with their cubs here in Asheville. There's lots of bears and a very common scene is for bears to be jumping on people's trampolines and wrestling with each other. Uh, so it's pretty innate to mammals to play games. Um, and for good reason, right? Like we're born and we have to secure food and shelter. And um, as you get older, there's generally in, in, in most mammals a strong drive to mate and procreate, pass on your DNA. But outside of that, we got to figure out what to do with all the time in the day. And um, hence games. And, and of course, the, the mammal that is closest to us in lineage are primates. You know, You go to a zoo and you go to the primate exhibit and they are either eating, effing, or playing games. Uh, so I think that like it is very, very natural for us to play games. And so much of what we consider quote-unquote work is really just playing games.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I just have to note there that our dog Willie thinks he's playing games all the time, even when he's not. I mean, he's convinced that he and our daughter Hazley are playing all the time, and Hazley is clueless as to what game he's actually playing so it's it's fun to watch it's like in, in grain. and i'd add a, in addition to that there's all sorts of research that shows like there's a huge benefit to it i mean part of childhood and growing up like games are where we learn about like competition friendship rules like interaction um handling a conflict defeats etc like all sorts of great research that show that like that's what we learn and if you look at some of that what's really interesting is the way we play games changes as i'm sure you're aware with your kids watching them play solo and then with the like with others apart and with others together and then the complexity of games and it just gets kind of more complex and and complex until as you said brad we get to adults and we call it work or our pursuits or our hobbies um but really we're just kind of playing these complex games only the difference i would say is that when we're younger we define them better we know what it means to win or lose we know what we're trying to accomplish we know the game we're trying to play in terms of like is the point to have fun you know if it's me if it's going back in the day if it's us on the cul-de-sac right playing a game of pickup football or basketball what do we do if the score is lopsided almost inevitably every every you know kid you switch teams you say hey This isn't quite fair. It's not so much fun. Like, team that's losing, you take this really good player over here and we'll take your not-so-good player. So it can be a little more even. Why? Because we understand that we're playing the game for fun. And even though there's a competition standard, if we go to a game, you know, we go to a different competition, a standard one, a track meet, the state meet, we know that, yeah, we're going to have a little fun, but the, the game we're playing is to try and compete to our best ability, to see what we're at, personal best, win, et cetera. And I think as we get into the adult games, we do a really poor job of understanding, A, we're playing a game, and then B, defining what we're trying to do in that game.
0: That's right. And one other conceptual layer to this is the difference between infinite games and finite games. And, um, this is a model that was developed by James P. Kars. Um, it was then, I don't want to say stolen, but riffed on by more popular authors recently. But, uh, the, the actual book here is infinite and finite games by James P. Kars. It is a classic. And Kars basically said that in finite games, there are winners and losers, and there are rules within which you play. And the goal is to win the game. And then the game ends. In infinite games, the goal is simply to keep playing. So when we think about our lives, you could think that an infinite game is meaning, fulfillment, relationships, joy. You want to play games that set you up for those things. Those are the infinite games. You don't win or lose at that. You just want to keep playing. And then the finite games that we play are write and sell a book, get a promotion at work uh, trade these bonds, represent our clients. Um, in some careers, they're a little bit more intertwined. I'm thinking of like a physician, you know, you're kind of playing a finite game maybe, which is like, help this patient do this surgery. But for the patient, it's part of their infinite game, uh, teaching same sort of thing. So I think that like, you also want to be mindful of, Hey, is this a finite game or an infinite game? And if it's a finite game, is it one that supports the infinite game that you want to play? So to use like growth equation language, the infinite game to me is like knowing your core values and trying to live in alignment with them. And You are like you're just constantly trying to do that. And then the finite games either help you do that or hurt you, but you got to do something to entertain yourself and to have fun and to make meaning out of. So we play games. And I think the biggest trap is when people pick the wrong games to play.
1: Absolutely. And I think... You know, the the other part of this that I think is important is that we often start off playing the game, doing the pursuit, choosing the work out of what I'd call more infinite, you know, reasons, or to use other language, more intrinsic reasons, right? We get interested in teaching because, like, we have this deep need to help others, Right. We get into being a doctor because like, it brings us that, like, that feeling, that, that almost uh, fulfillment of saying, like, I'm helping save lives or make a difference or get meaning out of things, which, as you said, is like an infinite game you're playing. But often over time, because of culture, society, whatever have you, the setup of the workplace, it often drags us to games that we didn't start playing meaning you started out running because you enjoyed the process of seeing how good you could be to understand like what it feels like to push. And then over time you fall into the trap of like winning matters a lot. And you start to shift towards like the rewards, the accolades Mm -hmm. trying to get the thing. So I get the, the, the money or the prize or the trophy and if you let that go too far, you, you're down the rabbit hole of winning at all costs because this thing now matters more than you know the original reason. That's 100% it. Um,
0: and then you get like overly focused on that thing and the original reason gets completely cannibalized and crowded out in your attention. So not only does it matter more, but you can no longer experience. So if the original thing was meaning, fulfillment, curiosity, joy, challenge, you don't even get to experience it that anymore because you get so fixated on the finite thing, you know, dollars made, books sold, record deals struck, clients gotten, sales closed,
1: whatever it is. I mean, this is the the, the notion behind the old sayings of like, don't make your passion your day job or what have you. Like we're recognizing that, once we make something you know into a job or whatever have you and these constraints around it, what it does is it pushes those kind of extrinsic drivers or that finite game and puts it center fold and says like, hey, you're gonna kind of be a little bit miserable because you've changed the focus. you've changed the definition of the game that you're playing. And I think what we're here to say is that like, and this is what also research says is that yes, When we pursue jobs or put it in this bucket or get surrounded by an environment that pushes us to have the win accolades like status, whatever it is, we're drifting more towards that. But there is a way to keep playing the infinite game while you're pursuing things that, you know, are a job or a passion or, you know whatever you want to call it, you just have to make sure that you're you're having something that nudges you back towards the meaning, purpose, fulfillment, so that you don't get lost chasing these things that, you know, when you started weren't important, but because of the surroundings now are. Yeah. So let's actually talk in some
0: specifics here. I think that one trap that people fall into is the money game. And the scoreboard becomes, how much money do I make? How much money do I save? uh, Some combination of those two things. And that is, to me, generally speaking, not the game that people want to play. Because people actually don't care about money. What they care about is autonomy, uh, ability to spend their time and energy how they want, health um, fun relationships. Um, some people might think they care about status and maybe they really do. And money is a signal of status, but money is just paper. Like at the end of the day, no one is like, Oh, I amassed all this paper and I spent all my life just amassing this paper and now I'm going to die. And you could say like there's generational wealth, uh, and passing on money to your family. But I do think that one trap is that people get sucked into playing the money game at the expense of actually like living their life and enjoying it because they just want more, 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 more money.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the hedonic treadmill at its best, right? It's like money is ties into status, but it also provides this quick hit of feeling like you're, you know, achieving something. Worthy, etc., um, without actually the like deep fulfillment that we crave, and I would say like the money game, and I think the other big one, and you mentioned it, I mentioned it, is like the status game, which is similar to money, but in a way it's different. Like the the way I'd I'd show it is, it's the person who you know um, strives to have a billion followers on Instagram or Twitter, even if they're not monetizing it. Why? Because they want the status of appearance of like, oh, I'm the man in this area. And there's a bunch of different areas for status. Like we're, we, we battle over that um, as a species. But I would argue that money and status and some of the others are simply um, using what I'd call the candy version of fulfillment instead of like the deep, nutritious version. Right. We take the quick hit. To make us feel like, you know, we're purposeful, valued, like, belong, wanted, etc. instead of, like, taking the time, I don't know, to develop a friendship that fulfills that belonging or a connection that does or a relationship that fulfills that or um, a deeply meaningful pursuit or craft that, like, provides mastery. And instead, we we kind of take the cheap version.
0: Yeah, I think that that's right. Um, I wrote about this a little bit in The Practice of Groundedness, and I think the line that I had is, like, it's easy to get sucked into wanting to be a celebrity on the Internet, but it's actually better to be a celebrity like in your own neighborhood. Um, and then I wrote about this in the newsletter recently on um, a distinction that was made in a Good New Yorker article about attention versus recognition. And how attention is having tons of people know your name, but know very little about you or who you are, but they know your name. Like this is the gazillion followers or the cable news talk show or whatever. And then recognition is having people like know who you are as a person and like really know you. It's like lowercase no versus capital no. And how the attention game is so easy to get sucked into playing. But is often very empty because there's never enough attention to make you feel whole because no one really knows you. Like you could seek attention, but attention is not love. It's not recognition, it's not really being known. Whereas the recognition game, all it really takes is a couple of people to feel like, you know, you're really bonded to and they care about you and they see you, and you don't need more. And um, I just think like that's so powerful to ask. Like, are you playing a money game, a status game, or like an attention game? Or are you playing a fulfillment game, an autonomy game, a recognition game? And how you might spend your time and energy changes pretty drastically based on how you answer those questions. Uh, I mean, to make this real for our work, and then we can do parallels into other people's, I mean, this is kind of like on the one hand, you have to have an ego to write books, to think that you're smart enough to do it and to have a byline. And everybody wants their books to sell a gazillion copies. And I think, you know, some of it is probably rooted in the fact that you want to be a part of a lineage of thinkers. And when you're dead, you want people to remember your book and to learn from it and all this kind of grandiose stuff. Um, but if that becomes the whole thing, then it's kind of empty versus like, oh, I got, you know, X amount of people that like really dig my work and they engage with it. And, I make time to actually have like relationships beyond just the people that read me, you tend to feel a lot more fulfilled that way. Um, and I think what makes all this harder is it's it's very zero sum because there's only so much time in the day. You know, if your goal is to play the money game, the sales game, the status game, every minute ought to be going towards closing deals, selling books, gaining followers, not towards the slow, boring work of making a real friend in your local community or shoveling your neighbor's driveway of snow. But if you want to actually feel recognized and good and fulfilled at night, you'd be wise to orient towards shoveling snow for your neighbor.
1: Yeah. You know what? It, It, it reminds me a little bit of something that I've talked before about on the newsletter, but call it like it's like the local global problem yeah which you know back in the day like all of these things status money like these drives towards the external towards the finite have (laughs) always been part of us but i think they've been um like heightened to the nth degree because you know it was relatively easy to get a little bit of this on the local level and then go hang out with your neighbors or play a pickup basketball game or get like your kids together with people in the real world and do real things. Um, And that was kind of your comparison group. So it wasn't like overwhelming. You could shut off because like in your local community, like you were enough, right. But in a globally connected world, especially where it feels local, such as you go on Instagram or TikTok, and it feels like you're, Kind of watching a quote-unquote friend as you, you know, look at their reels and see 20 of them throughout the day as they go through their life, right? It kind of fools our brain into thinking that almost like those are our neighbors, those are our comparison groups. Um, we have to measure up to that and, and play that game. And what it does is it creates an unrealistic, uh, you know, game that none of us can can win at because we're never going to have enough attention. We're never going to have enough money or status or what have you, because our comparison point has shifted from the local neighborhood or job that we have and the people that surround us to, you know, literally kind of the entire world. I think that's such an important point.
0: Uh, And it shows up in just about everything. Like we used to compare ourselves to the people in physical proximity to us. That is how we evolved. So our brain is hardwired for that level of comparison. And now we compare ourselves to infinity. And it's just another area where like, we thought that removing constraints would be good, but having constraints is actually a lot better. It's no different than dating, right? Like you used to just be able to date the people in your town and everyone said, "Oh, online dating is going to be so great because you can finally date people that aren't just in your town and you can find your soulmate because you're going to get the perfect match." And what it ended up doing for a lot of people is when you have infinite choices, there's always something or someone better. There's always more money to make, there's always more books to sell, there's always more followers to get. Um and I think that you even see this on like in, in, in politics in a way, like getting really involved in local politics is probably so much more fulfilling than caring about national politics. Why? Because in local politics, like stuff actually gets done. Um, so I think that that's a really astute point. And I think that the infinite version of playing games, whatever they are, like you're just, there's, there's never enough. There's always someone or something out there that is better. Whereas if you play in your own local constraints, one, you actually have a chance of winning. And two, even if you don't win, you know the people who are beating you. And if they're good people, you can respect them and look up to them and learn from them. And if they're assholes, then you can say, all right, like I wouldn't really want to be like that because that person's an asshole anyways. Whereas on the internet, you don't know if the top hedge fund manager is a good person or an asshole because he's got an airbrushed Instagram and Twitter page.
1: Yeah, the the analogy I kind of use from my own life, for example, I use from my own life is like, you know, when I started running, it was relatively easy to be the fastest in your grade or class, right? Or one of the fastest. It's you versus, you know, a couple dozen people, depending on your school size, whatever it is, you're going to match up well enough where if you have any hint of talent, like, you're going to get that boost of like, yeah, you know, and I was, and actually when I started, I wasn't the fastest in my grade. Um, There's another kid, Matt, who generally was faster. And, you know, you get that boost. So you're like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Like, let's do this. And then you go to the next level. You go from like elementary school or junior high to high school where it's like your class size, your is a little bit bigger and then you compete locally against the other random schools in your your district or area and it's like again you there's there's hope you're not kind of torn down and like you said you generally know all the competitors you get to know them you say i want to be like this guy or like that guy sucks over there i'm just going to ignore him or not be friends with him now imagine that same process where you start you know you take up track and your comparison group is not just those in your school. It's like everybody in the country or everywhere in the world. what well, would be a lot easier to think you sucked. <laughs> and and I would. Like, if I looked at my times when I ran, I don't know, the P physical fitness mile in fifth grade, like, I would have gotten beat by, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of other fifth graders, including many, like, girls. Now, if that was the comparison, like, fifth grader Steve might have been like, Uh, this sucks. You're not good. Like, go do something you have fun with. And I wouldn't like uh, pursue that. And I know it's not quite as drastic as that, but I think it's a good example to show how this interacts with like motivation and identity and and all of this stuff. Whereas we overindex on um on some of the external and extrinsic in a world that is global. It really kind of sets us up for this sucks, I'm going to be miserable, or I'm going to chase these fleeting hints of of feeling good at the expense of long-term fulfillment.
0: Yeah, two things. One related and then one kind of like broader point. The related point, because it's on my mind a lot, I'm speaking at a conference that's about like transforming youth sports. So just youth sports have been on my mind a lot. And um, it's kind of like your little league versus AAU. Because your little league, like you have to live within the the district confines to be eligible to play. And you could dominate your little league, but then you go to AAU and suddenly you're playing in regional tournaments, national tournaments, now sometimes international tournaments. And a kid that would have so much confidence in their sport, if they were in little league, might feel like they stink because they're on the AAU circuit. And if all you were to care about, forget the kid's emotional, mental, social health, if all you were to care about is performance, it's not always the best outcome. Because you could argue that, yeah, playing up and playing against kids that are better than you helps you, and there's truth to that. You could also argue that when you're really dang good, getting some positive feedback and feeling like you're really dang good is also helpful. So these are like these two opposing forces that are at play, but to me, that's just like another area where literally... Like it used to be you're in your community and now you're in a national circuit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Spot on. I couldn't have said it better. What's the second thing that was on your mind?
0: (laughs) All right. The second thing is just the importance of, and and I wrote about this in the newsletter. So for readers of the newsletter, this will be a a refresher. For those of you that don't read the newsletter, you can go get it at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. It's not enough to know... What game you want to play, you kind of have to like go to the right fields. So if you wanted to like play the running game, but you kept jumping into a swimming pool, you'd probably be like, man, it's like really hard to run in this swimming pool. Like I'm not really going too fast. I don't feel like I'm developing fitness. Like there's all this water it's resistant. You would never spend all day in a pool if you were trying to play the running game. Yet, So often you could hear a podcast like this and say, well, I want to play an infinite game or I want to play the recognition game or I want to play the like really being known by people I care about and finding fulfillment game. But then if you spend all day on the internet or on the AAU circuit or looking at trackers of wealth or how your sales stack up against your entire company or whatever it is, well, then you're in the wrong arena. So, you also have to make sure that like, you're spending enough time on the right arena or the right playing field for the game that you want to
1: play. I think that's a very astute comment. I mean, again, I think it comes back to something that we talked about at uh, the very beginning is as adults, we often don't take the time to define what game we're playing, to define what field in that game we're, we're trying to do. And I also add, which goes into this is like, you know, define kind of what success in that game means. And that could be, so I'll give the example, you know, are you going to go try and win the Olympic gold no matter what? Or are you trying to, yeah, the Olympic gold would be, would be great, but like, you're going to do it the right way according to your values and, and not cheat. Or whatever have you. Like, those are two different games to play, or two different definitions of success um, around things, even though they're both accolades on it. And then the last thing I would say is uh, also is like, once you kind of figure out what game you're playing and define those things, is um, have periods where you keep coming back to that so that you don't get lost, which is the other thing I think that happens as an adult. Like we find ourselves in the wrong field because like we got dragged over there by like Jimmy or Johnny or whatever corporation or whatever, you know, sometimes too much time on the internet even. And all of a sudden we go from the the swimming pool to the baseball field and we're trying to play the same game that we always have, but we're over on this other field over here and it's not working or we're you know, doing, you know, find ourselves losing our minds on the internet because, like, that's what occurs. So having those moments of reflection. And also, I would add, I'm just going to keep adding here, people in your life to, like, ground you and give you that perspective so that you don't go to the very real pull towards some of these finite extrinsic markers. And then our work as writers, like, over our careers together, Brad. Like I would say that's one of the biggest roles that each of us has has played for one another is it's really, really tempting to say sales are all that matters. It gets us the next book. Like we need more sales, which means we need to do more maybe shameless things or more be bigger on the internet and spend more time here on social media. And like it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole because like sales are what allows you to get the new, the next job. Um, but having someone else to kind of, hey, like I'm connected, I'm invested, but I can see things from a perspective because it's not my book or not my thing, um, even though I feel invested in it. Like that little voice helps you from, from going down the wrong path.
0: And if you only play the sales game, then you're never going to be fulfilled because it doesn't matter if your book is at Barnes and Noble and that's the coolest thing. It doesn't matter if your book's a national bestseller, that's the coolest thing. It doesn't matter if you're a New York times bestseller and that's the coolest thing because unless you're outselling atomic habits, then like you're not winning the sales game. And if that's the game that you spend all your time playing, then you're going to miss out on a whole lot of fun and meaning and relationships along the way. Um, I mean, I am so much more happy when I do book events with like real people that are readers and I meet them because it grounds the book and the impact it's having and the concepts it's wrestling with in real life versus when I'm sitting behind a computer trying to sell books on the internet. And I think what we have to grapple with is we have to do some of the latter to to pay the bills and to allow us to do the former, but there's got to be some constraints around the latter so that that's not all that you end up doing all the time. Absolutely. I think that, that, that that's our, yep. you know, you could argue that publishing is unique, but that's true for just about any industry, uh, or any job. It's kind of like, you know, define the game that you want to play, make sure that you're playing it, make sure that you're in the right field, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are going to keep you there. And if there are necessary evils and you have to play uh, a game that you don't want to, to play the games that you do, just make sure that you're not spending all your
1: time, you know, doing, doing that. I think that's it. I think that's the takeaway. So, there you go. That's ha- that's you know, make sure you're playing the right game and have the constraints and the help to keep you on that path that you want to be on. I think that's the key to not losing your mind on the internet. I think it's the key to not losing your mind chasing things that you know leave you feeling empty because it's impossible to satisfy yourself. I think that's the key to not succumbing to those kind of win at all costs mindset that results in cheating, fraud, crossing boundaries that you wouldn't wouldn't cross because like the thing matters more than anything else in your world. Well said. Uh,
0: We appreciate everybody listening to the show. If you enjoy it, please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. As a reminder, the best way to support our work is to purchase our books. You can also listen to those if you're an audible person. My latest is Master of Change. Before that, Steve put out Do Hard Things. We also have The Practice of Groundedness and Peak Performance. So if you are into our stuff, you'll dig our books. Grab them wherever you get your books or on whatever audio app that you use. And with that, we'll catch you next Wednesday.